Good evening and welcome uh, to our just watch night hangout that we have going on here. We uh, did something kind of similar last year. We uh, did a longest night service and it was, uh, we've had some people in the congregation do it. You can check it online. It was just live stream. And this is kind of the same thing. We had a bit of uh, busyness over the holidays and but then found, you know, there's no shortage of church services you can do. So we found another one. And so this is going to be pretty simple. James and James hanging out here at St. James, um, just talking about joy and entering the new year with joy. Uh, we've got three questions. We're just going to kind of respond to them each, talk about it. And really just my hope being, you know, kind of set ourselves up for this new year in the right way and not so much be looking through a list of things we need to accomplish to be better people, but actually understand God a little better and, and possess that joy that is so elusive sometimes. Um, but before we get started, James, would you uh, open us in prayer? Certainly. Gracious and loving God, we are especially thankful for your presence in our lives in this and in all moments as we, as we are here right now May we find in our hearts the sense of joy and well-being that you want for each of us to have. May our conversation be blessed by your presence and may your spirit guide us in those things we might say that some others might find healing and hope in, uh, in what we talk about. We ask all of this in the precious and holy name of your son, Jesus, whose spirit blows where it may. Amen. What do we find that prevents us from being joyful? And uh, are there some examples? That's a, that's a great question. Uh, as, I was, as I was thinking about that question for our conversation, um, I, I was wondering if, if joy isn't some sense of deep well-being that mm. comes to us. Uh, it, it, it's interesting to me that when Paul lists the fruits of the Spirit, he begins with love. The second one is joy, and the third one is peace. So on both sides of this joy piece, there's love that is the connective tissue, if you will, of God's uh, uh, wanting to be connected with us all and with the creation God has made for us. And then on the other side, that word peace, which in you know for our Hebrew sisters and brothers means a sense of wholeness, completeness, and well-being. And so joy is kind of nestled in there. I don't, it could have been a complete accident that he made a list that way, but I think that maybe not so much, that love and a sense of well-being are kind of the underpinnings for what it is to experience real joy. So if there's something that's keeping us from feeling a sense of that well-being in, uh, in us, some examples might be the loss of someone that we care about uh, deeply because that person was so integrated into our life by love and hope, uh, sense of connection. And so when we lose that person, at this time of year particularly, when we're celebrating, it's hard to feel the joy and sense of well-being when the person who helped us feel that isn't, isn't with us anymore. It could be the end of a relationship. It could be that we're at a place in our lives where... We're still we're realizing that we thought we had it figured out, and now maybe we don't have it figured out, and so we're in that kind of chaotic moment. And whenever there's chaos, joy uh, may es escape that immediate sense that we have about uh, about being uh, 
joyful, being alive, being well. What about you? Uh, well, I went a totally different direction, which is kind of funny. Maybe it's a little too philosophical because I have some bad examples. But uh, so personally, the first thing I popped up when I was thinking about it was just myself, quite honestly. You know, I find myself in, in really what I, you know, if I'm to be more detailed, expectation. That it has to be this way or it has to be this way. And I think it all kind of ties in, you know, with, with, with relationships and things like that. But I feel like if things aren't as expected, instead of being joyful in, in the fact that, whatever, awesome, you, know, you can have a billion things happen, but if the one thing that was not expected doesn't happen, you know, I think that sort of removes the joy, you know, from it, and, you know, I might be simplifying joy and mixing it around with happiness. I think it's more deep than that, and I think it can be present in loss, and I think it can be present in really, really hard times, because joy tends to be a more um, spiritual thing and, and more connected to God and, you know, through the Holy Spirit, and I think that's what, you know, I, I find myself preventing myself from it, because I think I've got to do it this way because this is the best way or it's got to be like this or, man, I wish I would have done this. And all of a sudden, you know, a year goes by and there's been little no joy for no reason because everything, nothing really went wrong. And even if it did, you know, how, 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 you know, how big is that? You know, and how much of an impedance is it? And I think, like, I think there's some fear maybe connected with that. You know, I, 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 it's funny, I, I resonate with that whole rich young ruler story, not because I have a lot of money and I care about money, but because sometimes I feel like if I was really deconstructed, it's not so much about giving everything you have to the poor, it's giving up your most prized possession to God without expectation of getting it back or without expectation of ever seeing it again in this life. And I think for me sometimes it's, a, it's like a control, it's like a value that comes from having control and, and that really prevents joy. Um, you know, some, some examples, you know, might be like, I do a lot of creative stuff and I have pictures in my head of what, oh, it should look like this or this should be like this. And, you know, things, it never, never happens that way. But, uh, you know, and then it's like, oh, well, should we even just do it because it didn't work out the way we wanted it? And then it's like a chore. And recently I found myself being more like, you know what, like here are all the awesome things that came out of this. If we hadn't have done this, or if I hadn't have created this thing, or if I hadn't have written this thing, or if I haven't done whatever, then all of the good stuff wouldn't have happened. Sure, it was slightly disappointing that it didn't do this, but does that necessarily negate all of the blessings, you know, that it happens? And perhaps it's just a, a realization that, you know, I don't know everything. And sometimes when God's leading me to do stuff, I may not have the full picture, and I just got to ride the wave and have no idea where it's going to land, you know? That's faith. I mean, that's. Uh, yeah. and I think you're you're absolutely. I, I think you're absolutely right, uh, in the sense that when we talk about joy as a sense of well-being, you can have a sense of well-being even if things are falling apart around you. And I think that's. Uh, I think that's what God wants for us to get to a place where we are are grounded enough that when we don't, when our expectations don't come true or whatever, I. Uh, that we can still find joy because I'm I'm with you. I think joy is something that's it's much deeper to me. I don't I don't think of joy and happiness as the same thing. I think joy is a sense of well-being. Happiness is, you know, the fleeting. We chase after it, but the funny thing is, it's not something that you can chase after when it comes to happiness. Happiness just happens along the way. If you know we're you know, if the journey is going well, and when it go, doesn't go well, then there's unhappiness. But I think you can be unhappy and still have 
joy deep inside of you somewhere because of that grounded connection we have with God. At least that's... Yeah. No, I, I think that's, that's so true. And just to be fair, I'll give a hard example and not just some soft hypotheticals. Um, for a while, before we came to St. James, it was kind of funny. We had this vision to start a church up in New York, and it's still like a dance that we're maybe going to, you know, sometimes visions or, or direction from God doesn't have a timestamp on it, and you think that it does. Um, and I'm sharing it now just for validation. If it ever happens, we'll have this video, you know, give God some credit. But, you know, he gave me this vision, and, you know, it was very detailed, and it wasn't just like, hey, you're going to go up and do this. It's like, hey, here's a picture. You know, here's a community. Here's kind of a people. And, you know, I did some research because, of course, I'm not going to just be like, yeah, all right. You know, I researched. There, you know, and there was a lacking, you know, really, I, I would say, and I don't want to say charismatic because that's not fair, but more spirit-led element up there. It was very intellectual, which isn't bad, but I think it's a dance between intellectual and, um, and more interacting with the spirit. And so I was like, oh, man, that's perfect because, you know, if I'm anything, you know, I end up erring towards that side and, you know, everyone balances each other. And anyway, so I had this, this vision. I was so excited about it. Pieces were falling into place. It made sense. And then for some reason, for some reason or another, it just didn't happen, you know. And, you know, I have all the research. I have all the, you know, like all the junk, the graphics, you know, things you just create when you're excited about something. And uh, so who knows, you know, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll use them again. But it was sort of disappointing because in my mind, God might have given me a seed, but, man, I grew that plant to fruition, and then when it got chopped down, I was like, what? You know, and, and, and for a while, I was kind of like, well, what did I do? You know, could I have handled it differently? Could I have said different words to different people? Could I have done this? And, and then the reality is, you know, to, to, to lament that is acceptable, but to say that everything that followed because it didn't happen was pointless is, is, is so illogical and irrational. And uh, now I look back on our time for over the last year, little more than a year now, and just the, the cool stuff we've been able to do here, the, the type of, of, of worship and different atmosphere we can, we can bring in. And, and quite honestly, you know, nothing wrong with the United Methodist Church, but it's so different and so, um, so out there, some people will even say it, that I think, you know, hopefully, you know, we've got this seed planted that who knows, you know, you know what, what could happen. And, you know, I could have let, and I did for a little while, let my joy be quenched by just disappointment or thinking that something went wrong when in reality perhaps, you know, it went exactly as it should and who knows where the journey's actually gonna gonna land, you know. Yeah, that was very long. Sorry about that. <laughs> and we can we we have the license to go back to these questions if we feel like we need to. But uh, we'll we'll go to the next question and uh, the second one is what does God really have to do with joy? And uh, I added in a pragmatic way because I think as theologians we can just God is joy. God is love, and that's good and true, and, but like, how does that, how, how do at least we personally feel like it interacts? You know, warning, it's our opinion, you know, and it's, it's our opinion from life and, and expectation in reading scripture, and so, you know, I think sometimes people will come in hard times or in struggle and be like, well, how does this even make sense because, you know, I'm super hungry or, or whatever, so uh, not to really set you up tough, but how does, uh, what does God really have to do with my joy in a pragmatic way? That may have been the hardest question that you put in there, James. As I was, um, as I was thinking about it, I, uh, in a pragmatic way, um, if God is indeed the ground of, of my whole life, without God I'm nothing. Uh, then, in a pragmatic way. If I could learn 
to lean more and be more steady. You know, as opposed, life offers us a roller coaster. I mean, uh, the truth of it, uh, you know, no matter what we think or hope for, sometimes, you know, everything looks great and then something comes unglued and all the wheels yeah. are rolling in the wrong direction. Um, we have to get to something and the car breaks down or we get in an accident on the way or, you know, something even much smaller than that. We're supposed to get out the door and someone calls and we end up on the call instead of where we were, we thought we were supposed to be. And because, again, the expectation piece, in a pragmatic way, God, um, in ways we don't even see, God is holding us up even in those moments. And I think that the finding of joy for us is tied to the fact that most of the time our disappointment is not that it, it, we haven't disappointed God at all. I'm disappointed that it didn't go the way I wanted it to do. And knowing and trusting that somehow God embraces me in my own fragile nature, in my own brokenness, in my own inability to follow through in the way that I thought things were supposed to go, in, in learning to lean and to trust that God already loves me no matter what. I mean, the, 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 my own worst critic is me. There's nothing anybody could say on a given Sunday morning about a sermon I've preached or a Bible study that I've given that I haven't already raked over myself over the coals for maybe four or five extra times and even the minuscule choice of words sometimes when I uh, uh, leaves me a little uh, out there. And yet, God can use anything. And that's the, to me, that sounds like faith and out there, but that's very pragmatic. Even in my brokenness, God embraces me and loves me, is especially fond of me even in my brokenness, and uses that brokenness, that uh, disappointment, that um, that uncertainty to actually help me make the next step uh, if I'm willing to say yes. And that's, I, I think for me, that's the big pragmatic, um, uh, I'm not saying just brush it off and pretend like it didn't happen because that's, I think sometimes we're a little bit glib in religion about, oh, get over it, you know, so, yeah. so something terrible came apart, so what? I think sometimes we just kind of brush that off when there really is pain when you're disappointed about what you were hoping for or imagined or dreamed and you thought that's what God wanted and then it's not or it, uh, so I think that the pragmatic reality is um, sometimes just learning to be a little bit more gentle with ourselves which allows us to see that maybe God is using that God can use any moment, a broken moment, a tremendously successful moment, to carry us into whatever is, what, what might be next. I mean, that's, I think that's pragmatic. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly, that's exactly right. And that's funny because we started on two totally different sections. And I think we funneled to this because my, my sort of short answer was, you know, our view of, of God, you know, and how we understand God. And you know, the, the reality is it gets super complicated and stuff like that in, in, in practice. But, you know, for instance, when dealing with, like, loss, you know, and things like that, I think, you know, wholeheartedly we can lament and be sad and still experience joy with God. 
it sounds difficult and, and weird, but I think it's totally true. And, you know, when I was growing up, I was really cynical, but there were these ladies, and I don't mean to make it gender specific, but they were ladies and in church, and man, they could find any connection to God, anything. You know, I was feeling bad in a sparrow set on a tree, because, and God knows I love sparrows, so it gave me joy when that sparrow, and God brought that sparrow just for me. You know, of course, you like, we laugh a little, and I laugh a little, and I'm thinking like, you know, if I'm honest, I, I would love that a, approach. You know, I would love to see that. And, and to be fair, well, who's to say it didn't line up that way because of some interaction with God or, you know, not, or maybe the next time it did, or, you know what I mean? And if you view God as a God who would do those little things in, in times of lament, and if you're looking for those things because you're seeking God when you're struggling, I think that that's how we can bridge that gap between sadness and joy um, and having experiencing them both at the same time. Uh, you know, scripturally, there's so much lament and so many people just crying out to God. I mean, so, you know, people wishing they hadn't been born and stuff like that. Yet they're still crying out to God and praying because there's this truth underneath it that says, like, regardless of your situation, like, interacting and seeking God and, 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 interac and seeking that interaction with God is, is what, you, what you really need and what will create that joy. Um, and, but I also think um, God can be a hindrance to joy, too, if you have a wrong perception of, of, of who God is. And I'll, I'll share this really shortly. It kind of came to me when we were looking at these questions. I don't remember the name of the book, but maybe I'll figure it out as we go. It's some children's book, and uh, I heard it a while ago. But anyway, it's about this kid, and this kid's doing all the, and if you think of it, just tell me. It's about this kid, and he's drawing all these pictures and, and stuff like that. And he's not the best artist in the world, but he's still, you know, he's drawing because he enjoys drawing. And, uh, you know, one day he's drawing this, like, flower pot or something like that, you know, and it's not awesome, but he's, you know, he's trying. And, you know, his older brother looks over his shoulder and, you know, he sees the flower pot and he laughs at them, makes fun of them and says, that's terrible. I can't even tell what that is. That's horrible. And so, you know, he crumples it up and, you know, he throws it across the room and gets rid of it. And then for the next couple days, he's tirelessly trying to draw better, you know, trying to draw things exactly as they should be and trying to, you know, you know, be, in a sense, make it perfect. And for what I believe is, so his brother will say, yeah, you're a good artist. Anyway, it doesn't work, obviously. And he keeps crumpling them up and throwing them and crumpling up and throwing them. So anyway, one day he, uh, he, he's drawing one and you know, he gets frustrated and he throws it. And his little sister runs over, picks up the crumpled piece of paper and just books it to her room. Now he's super embarrassed because he thinks he's a terrible artist. So he runs after her. And as they burst in the room, he sees this wall where literally it's just plastered with... Uh, uncrumpled drawings that he had done all this time as he was trying and his, you know, what he considered failures and everything like that. And, you know, he's kind of like taken aback when he sees it. And, and you know, she like uncrumples it, hangs it up, and then she says, you know, this one, you know, it's my favorite. It happens to be the flower pot one, obviously. It's a children's story. But, you know, it's super heartwarming and, and stuff. And, uh, oh, I know exactly what the book's called. The book's called Ish, by the way, because she says it is Vaz Ish. And, uh, so he then, like, understands this, like, whole other idea, like, yeah, I can make things ish. You know, I can make this, you know, tree-ish. And so, like, he starts drawing again, and he loves it, and he feels tons of freedom. And anyway, moral of the story for me is I think we can see God as this older brother who's, you know, looking over our shoulder, just judging us when we're wrong or when we're not doing the right thing. And, you know, that does not yield joy. Um, or we could see God as this, you know, the who the sister character was, you know, as we're trying and as we're, you know, working, just, you know, hanging these things up. You know, oh, you know, James really tried on that sermon and his heart was in it. You know, it wasn't perfect, but man, I loved it because, 
you know, he, he, he really understood this aspect, you know, of it. And so many people, it resonated with them. That is awesome. While James might be like, that was the worst sermon in history. Let's just delete it from the server and get rid of it. And, uh, and so I think how we, how we understand, you know, our relationship with God and, and how God really views us, I think that in a pragmatic sense, that impacts, you know, how we find joy. You know, if I'm struggling finding a job or if I'm struggling finding this and I see God as this person encouraging, and, and, and really pleased with the fact that I'm trying. I know, you know, it sounds kind of, you know, tried a little bit, but, you know, if you're feeling like that, it's probably because you might not be trying it, you know? And I think seeking God in that way will really give us joy even when times are super difficult. And I think, you know, this next year, inevitably, there's going to be difficult times and things that happen. And if we see God as this sort of miser who's like, Oh, you failed. You better fix it somehow. I'm not going to help you out, you know, versus someone who's like, wow, you really tried on that, but maybe we should change a few things next time because this super, this worked really well, but maybe this didn't work very well. Um, you know, I think that's a way that we can kind of pragmatically seek out joy. I think you're absolutely right, especially when you talk about um, the way we see God often shapes the way we think we're supposed to be ourselves. And I'm convinced that sometimes we carry around some image of God that is the harsh judge that we, that we can never satisfy, uh, that we can never quite measure up to. And I think the hardest part of that is that's not who God is at all. Uh, uh, you know, God loves us right where we are right now and can grow us into a new person and can open us up to new possibilities. But... Um, as long as we think God is the harsh judge, then we'll never be satisfied with ourselves or with God. And we'll be right. trying to satisfy a God who only exists in our imagination, doesn't exist in reality. Um, and uh, so I, I, that is truly spot on. Richard Rohr says something along that exact same line, is that we, uh, uh, we often make God in our own image because we're very judgmental or something like that. And then we try to satisfy the God that we've made in our own image, and it, we can just never measure up. And God is so much bigger than that, and if we just let God reveal that to us, then it's easier to find joy if you expect and come to see God everywhere, not just uh, in your successes, but God with you even in the failures or disappointments. Yeah, absolutely. All right, last question. Let's see what it is. What are some things we can do, or do more of, if we're doing them, to receive and embrace the joy that God is actively and regularly providing in the new year? <laughs> All right. Uh, I think I sort of jumped the line here and answered this a little bit ahead of time, but I think... Uh, you know, a lot of the things is is really seeking to understand who God is better, you know, and, and living it. And, you know, it's almost like uh, art is kind of like prayer, I think, in a way that, you know, when we start, sometimes we're just not really good at it. You know, we, we, we sort of like sit down and we say like, uh, dear God, uh, you know, I'm not feeling well. But, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we say that. Or we sit down and we think, no, this is stupid. Or, oh, I can't draw because, you know, I tried once and it's terrible. And no one realizes that these awesome and amazing artists just are tirelessly practicing, practicing and constantly, even if they're not feeling it, they're trying and, you know, 
saving something for later or getting rid of it or editing it. And it's just like this this process. And I think prayer is, is very much like that. And I think everybody can pray. I think everyone's capable of prayer. I think everybody who who consistently is seeking God will interact with God. I have no doubt about that. I think if, 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 and I've been here, if I'm saying, oh, well, I pray and I don't really feel anything, you know, I probably would ask my past self, well, how frequently did you try? And I would say, ah, oh, well, maybe once a month. You know what I mean? And or I tried in church and it just didn't really feel right. And it's kind of like that thing where, you know, if there was anything in the new year to begin that understanding of God the right way and uh, then, in fact, receiving the joy that we, we truly need, you know, as people created in, in God's image, is to actually consistently seek to interact with God. And it doesn't have to be prayer, you know, in a, in a literal sense, uh, but I will say it's super helpful and effective, and it's talking or thinking. Um, but, it, it, you know, it could be, it could be music. It, it could be, you know, just kind of, you know, sitting outside and, and observing God's creation. I mean, there's, these are all steps that, you know, I think, you know, I, I still should be taking, you know, more because, you know, I catch myself going to sleep thinking like, wow, did I pray at all today? And is that why I'm in a crappy mood? And, you know, and my wife's just being very gracious and, you know, all that stuff. But, yeah, I think, you know, the, the things that we could do or do more of, you know, simply are the things that connect us with, with the true God, not that false, you know, God that we've kind of created in our image who's looking to judge us and will only accept us if we're perfect, which we're, you know, here's the end of the story. We're never going to actually be perfect. So um, it's just an impossible feat. Um, but th through things like prayer, through things like scripture, I mean, I think coming to church and, and listening to sermons is part of that too. But I think the, 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 the beauty of church is the community and, and in that, you know, in a sense, checking in with each other and encouraging one another. And, you know, if an anyone could listen to every St. James sermon in the world online, watch the worship, do everything, and never actually step foot in the building, which is fine if, if there's, there's reasons for that. But man, Finding a, a community that can encourage you and, um, you know, in a sense, like help you along that journey is also part of it. And if it's not here, that's okay. You know, there might be, if you're, you know, in a, you know, in a nursing home or if you're somewhere, you know, out of state, you know, there are people in the, and, and, and I, I guarantee if you're praying and you're seeking those type of people, they show up. Um, and so I guess what I'm almost yammering on about is like just these, you know, almost like a battle. You've got different fronts where you can, in a sense, you know, progress and get further and further to that goal, um, you know, and, and that goal really being, you know, getting closer to this, you know, understanding of God and, and in reality then that reflection of understanding, you know, ourselves too. Because as you learn more about God, you learn a heck of a lot more about yourself too in the process. So when that time of, you know, loss or lament or, or whatever happens, you're going to be sad. It, it's not like you're not going to be sad and you're not going to care. But there's going to be a different feeling because you have this, in a sense, encourager through the Holy Spirit or presence of God with you through that versus feeling like you're alone and, and joyless. Just to tag on to what you're saying, I think the most, what, what is important, what I heard you saying is, is to find a rhythm of life where you can be connected with God. If it's taking that... Uh, 10-minute walk around your neighborhood, winter, spring, summer, fall, and catching a glimpse of the flowers that are blooming, or the leaves that are falling, or changing color, or even the lack of leaves on any trees. Um, just kind of capturing that. When you, when you develop a rhythm of life where it becomes 
a, a regular part of who you are. You can become aware of God's presence in ways um, that maybe you never did before. And uh, for me, things like uh, centering prayer and reading scripture as well as reading uh, some of the great spiritual classics, um, uh, it's being held accountable by people who I trust in life who say, you know, James, I, that's a nice idea, but hey, maybe if you came back to the other side a little bit, you've, you've crossed a line now. You've crossed a line. Come back, you know. But it's also what I'm discovering for my own sense of well-being and joy, especially that's coming out of Centering Prayer for me, is what Centering Prayer does for me is it, it allows me to be empty before God, uh, not just talk to God, but to just be empty before God, because sometimes I begin to see through the time of Centering Prayer um, and then into the rest of the day my own patterns of of the way I addictively respond to life. You know, I'm always, oh, I knew I'd be disappointed by this. Oh, I knew that that person would let me down. Or I knew I'd let them down. Or, gosh, why didn't I do something about that yesterday? Well, the truth is, I can't do anything about what, what, what happened yesterday or didn't happen yesterday. All I can do is say, what can I do now? And because I can see those patterns through sitting with God every morning as a part of my day, it, it begins to shape. Now, centering prayer, I, I'm not saying that's for everybody. I'm not saying everybody should do centering prayer. Um, well, maybe I am. But uh, I, I think that time to sit with God and be present, even if it's only for five minutes every morning, you've got to begin somewhere. Because the only way you're going to develop, I'm convinced, a sense of joy that goes deeper than surface level is to actually build into our lives some way of being aware that God is with us all the time, wherever we are. Uh, in, the, in the bluebird, our cardinal, our blue jay that you talked about, you know, that appears in the, in the tree on a day when you're feeling, you recognize, you know, maybe that's just a blue jay appearing, but maybe, you know, that's just a reminder of something beautiful in this world that... Uh, so I think letting go of our own desire to control everything, our desire to feel good about ourselves all the time or to feel good about everything all the time, and that sense of um, just learning to trust allows you to find joy in places you never thought you might find. At least that's what I No, I, I agree with that. And I think, you know, it's funny because I think we, you know, we say prayer, but we mean like a lot of different things. We don't just mean... And, you know, there's centering prayer. The nice thing about that is it's sort of a prayer isn't just active, it's passive sometimes. And just making the time, the, the time to sit in silence, you know, that's when God can reveal, you know, things. And, and when you're yammered on, he's probably, you know, you might not, you might miss it. And <laughs> no, absolutely. But, but I, and, and I think we're, we're really both on the same page because I think sometimes we sort of view, and I, and I don't want to say complacency because that seems so harsh. I don't mean it like that we get comfortable and we think, all right, well, I'm doing this. And then all of a sudden it's not working and it's like, well, I'm doing this. Why isn't it working? And, you know, the, the, the reality tends to be, especially with the kingdom of heaven on coming on earth, and, and it's just this constant motion. And, you know, as we, you know, develop further, you know, we may be all about centering prayer and then we might start taking walks because there's a tie in there. And, you know, and we start, you know, really developing this fullness 
you know, and seeing God through a lot of different lenses and a lot of, and I think, you know, I think that's really the encouragement because if, you know, just listening to sermons or listening to Christian music, that's good. But, you know, then there's so many other things to try and so many other ways to see God's face that just has this infinite amount of angles that, you know, as we discover more and more and more, there's, there's joy in that, you know. And it breaks our conception of God in the process of doing that. The only other thing that I, I think I would want to add, too, and, you know, it just occurred to me right as you were saying that, um, that is, I think that joy is deeper than appealing. And I think that oftentimes we measure our lives by what we're feeling. You know, I'm feeling happy. This means God's with me. Oh, I'm feeling empty. Maybe God's not here. Uh, and I think that I think we put way too many eggs in the feelings basket. Mm -hmm. um, speaking as a, you know, my daughter Hannah says I'm a big bag of feels. So <laughs> I, I feel a lot of things all the time. But those feelings... Um, ought not, I'm not saying they don't, that they ought not to be a determiner about whether I, I sense God's presence in my life because it's got to be deeper than the feelings I'm feeling. Because sometimes feelings are affected by what I ate, too much sugar or, uh, you know, uh, what, whatever. Uh, that I'm hungry, and uh, anybody who knows me well knows that I get kind of hangry. Uh, when I'm, you know, all those are surface feeling kinds of things. There's nothing wrong with feelings. God gave them to us. But I think that when we equivocate, when we, uh, when we say, uh, when I'm feeling good, I'm, God's here. When I'm feeling bad, God's not here. When we think of it as feelings, feelings come and go. I mean, uh, in ways. So I think that joy has got to be something that happens deeper inside us, it's a fruit of the Spirit, and as a fruit of the Spirit, it's something we grow into, and we have to be doing the kinds of things that, the, the rhythm that we talked about, the praying and reading scripture and things, we've got to be doing something that waters the garden so that the fruit can grow. That's what I think. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. There's an action step at the end. That's what we, what we need. For me and James, we just encourage you to you know, glean, glean what is really usable from this discussion in, in seeking joy um, in the coming year.